All right, we are live. How's it going, everyone out there? Steven Ignoramus here. Welcome to Call Me Ignorant, episode number 19. What is today? June 6th, 2019. 10.35 a.m. So pleased you could be with us. Call Me Ignorant is a live conversation show, whether with an interesting content creator, an expert in a field, a controversial figure, or with a fellow human being trying to spread a message. Call Me Ignorant will try to solve the problems of the world, conversationally speaking. We are streaming right now live to YouTube, DLive, Twitch, and Periscope. If you can't catch the show live, you can find it after the fact on the above-mentioned platforms, also on BitChute and FreedomScoop.com. Call Me Ignorant is also available in podcast format on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. You can find me on Twitter at IgnoramusSteve or send me an email at StevenIgnoramus at gmail.com. Topic ideas, questions, and potential guests for the show are much appreciated. My guest today is Ford Fisher. Ford is a journalist and the founder and editor-in-chief of NewsToShare.com, which brings you the latest on activism and politics in the nation's capital. We're going to talk today about yesterday's YouTube purge, his work as a journalist, and his, and his channel's recent demonetization on YouTube. His website, Patreon, and other links are down in the video description. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, uh, Ford. I know it's on short, no- short notice and stuff like that. How's it going? Yeah, it's uh, it's been really a chaotic uh, couple of days. You know, yesterday was supposed to be a day off for me. Uh, you know, I had a visit from my aunt and uncle who were in D.C. I thought it was just going to be kind of a chill day, no news to cover, was going to go have dinner with them, maybe a couple glasses of wine. Everything was going to be just a very uh, chill day. And the last 24 hours, I ended up at the center of a giant Twitter feud. People are uh, involving me in emotional th- emotional fighting and all the rest, and I've got journalists reaching out to me. So it has been a unexpectedly turbulent uh, 24 hours, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, when we when we talked on Twitter or whatever, you said you were just flooded, and uh, you know, I can totally understand that. But uh, before we get into talk about talking about today's subject matter and stuff like that, can you give me just a little bit of background information on how you uh, got into journalism and why uh, and how you started to do the work you do? Sure. So I actually studied film and media arts at American University. I initially went into AU thinking I would kind of study uh, fiction film. And Mm. because I was in Washington, D.C., I really just ended up falling into news. And so I kind of approached it by combining those two talents. What I what I try to do is I go to events and I cover them uh, using sort of up close cinematic raw footage uh, and I really believe in keeping most of my own commentary out of it. Um, most political activism happens somewhere on the left-right spectrum. I don't consider myself to be sort of on that spectrum uh, anyhow, and certainly my news outlet isn't. And so I guess it's supposed to be, in my mind, uh, restoring the kind of old news value, old school news value, of uh, just objective journalism using the technology that we have today. Uh, I don't like watching the cable news where you have talking heads arguing over a situation where you go to MSNBC and you get one person on the left telling you what to think. When you go to Fox, you got one person on the right sometimes telling you what to think. You go to CNN and you might get uh, two uh, people telling you what to think and you get to choose between two options because yep. everyone knows that, uh, you know, in, in a real democracy, you get two two ideas. No. So what I like to do is I don't really uh, endorse anybody's ideas that I'm covering, I I film stuff in as raw of a format as I can. So, you know, um, just as an example, and this is a pretty normal uh, type of thing that I would cover, uh, on Saturday, really the most recent kind of story I did on the ground was um, there was a march for impeachment, right? Mm -hmm. So some 
uh, Democrat, uh, I guess you could say probably center left to left uh, activists uh, were on the National Mall and they marched to the White House with a list of 10 reasons they think Donald Trump should be impeached. And there were some pro-Trump activists who showed up wearing MAGA caps and saying, we don't think Trump should be impeached. We think he's doing a great job. And so I filmed, uh, you know, all of those sorts of people. I interviewed uh, both of them. I actually brought, I split it into two YouTube videos. So the description of each one tells you how to look at the the other one. Um, but, you know, I had one protest that's, or one, I'm sorry, one video of the protest that was, you know, impeachment march in D.C. And it just shows raw footage of what they were talking about. And then one that said, you know, MAGA activist counter protest uh, impeachment march. Right. And so the idea is that it is raw footage. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with what I think of what I'm filming. It's so people understand it. And then a lot of documentaries, a lot of news outlets end up relying on that uh, for themselves. So as much as I'm an independent content creator, uh, the mainstream media really benefits from the availability of that kind of work. Mm, okay, so like on the ground, raw footage, and yeah, just so, so people can see actually what goes on. And did, were you doing this before you started NewsToShare.com? Or was this kind of, um, it started when you started that website? Well, so I, very briefly, uh, the co-founder and I, Trey Inks, who, <clears throat> he now works at Fox News himself. Very briefly, we were actually using a platform called CNN iReports. It may or may not still exist, but basically it was a platform that allowed citizen journalists to submit their content to CNN. Mm. And so, uh, but you're not paid in any way for that as, as a content creator. It's sort of like YouTube that's hosted by CNN. Um, and we had a few situations where we actually, our work was on CNN as you know, relatively young, inexperienced college students. And we basically realized, you know, we could really be branching out a lot further than just giving our stuff to f for free to them. And then, you know, indeed, this is, you know, what I do now for a living. Um, right. And yeah. and I contribute to to basically every outlet you could possibly think of as just my work. Mm. So was your website, how, uh, how fast did it take for your website to grow? Was it successful right away or was it kind of a painful process? Um, you know, it, it almost wasn't so much about the website. It's kind of the social media nowadays. Mm. So uh, when I look at my YouTube channel analytics, it is usually in the single digits of percents of my uh, video views that actually come from people watching the videos on newstoshare.com. Uh, by and large, people are watching my videos because either YouTube is suggesting it to them or because other outlets have embedded them. So if I go to the uh, impeachment march, um, outlets uh, like it could be on the left, it could be Think Progress, or it could be on the right, it could be Breitbart. Either of those, uh, you know, might write a story with their particular take on it, and they might embed my YouTube video or my tweets into their reporting. And I think that that's really how uh, people see a lot of my work. Same thing is true with live streaming. I do live streams on Facebook, where my sort of belief is, in addition to just the raw video that, you know, I might put out like a 10-minute summary, just HD video without commentary of what's going on, um, as even a further layer of transparency and, in my opinion, open and honest journalism, I, I have I live stream the entire thing that I'm covering onto Facebook. And so if somebody wants to see the context of every word in the 10 minute video they watch on YouTube, you know, they could check out the Facebook live stream as well. And so Facebook, I have a, a pretty large following there uh, for live streams. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool that you're so uh that you're so upfront about the transparency and that you just include every word. That's great. I didn't know that about you. That's cool, man. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, there's a lot of uh, questions today about this concept of fake news. Yeah. And it's really a 
an accusation that is leveraged uh, between both sides, right? Trump has used this term fake news uh, a lot, uh, referring to the left. And the left uh, likes to talk about how, you know, uh, how right-wing news outlets are manipulating their words or, uh, you know, there was recently this issue with like the concept of a deep fake where a, a video was kind of altered of Nancy Pelosi to make her look um, yeah. uh, less articulate than she is. <laughs> so um, live stream, in my opinion, is really the only medium that exists today that rules out the possibility of that kind of thing happening. You know, um, people people can dislike what they see. People can certainly look at my live streams and say, wow, you are live streaming some bad folks. I don't like uh, what those guys have to say. But the one thing they can't say about my live streams is that they're they're manipulated or that they're uh, that they're out, outright wrong because they're they're indisputable. Uh, the nature of live stream makes it so that editing is impossible. Um, that is a medium that is not prone to editing or deep fakes or or anything like that. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And I, you know, I don't say this, you know, just uh, just to say we actually have the exact same ideology there. Like I, um, I, I put out a video a couple uh, months ago, just said, just kind of a joke, saying my three journalistic ethics are: fuck it, I'll write it, and we'll do it live. And, uh, you know, like, so that, that, you, you, like you said, it's a medium that can't be tampered with, um, you know, unless someone figures out the hologram thing a little better, but, um, uh, but how about, uh, um, any events, uh, kind of in current event, or I guess news events or personal events of yours that inspired you to become a journalist? Um, I think that, so I sometimes cite that I think that in general, uh, bad journalism in some ways led to public support yeah. for the Iraq war. Huh. Right. So, uh, growing up, uh, I mean, literally like people die because of bad journalism, because of journalism that just sort of parrots what the state has to tell you, uh, and such. And I realize that there's a diversity of different types of journalists who deal with those kinds of issues. But for, so for me, and I, I don't expect every journalist to do the sort of thing I do. I think that there are other journalists who should and do, look at my footage and then analyze it, right? And they're probably smarter than me and I'm probably better at filming stuff than they are, mm. <laughs> Okay. right? And that's okay. So for me, the thing that I contribute to it is I think that to have better freedom and better justice in society, you just have to start with truth. Um, and so for me, I think that raw video, live video is how you achieve truth. Uh, yesterday, one person who spoke out uh, defending me was Glenn Greenwald. And he has a completely different style of journalism. I don't think I've ever seen Glenn Greenwald live stream something. Yeah. Uh, but he is a very talented writer and a very talented speaker uh, about very complicated issues concerning national security and the surveillance state. And so I see those sorts of projects, his his work and uh, work like mine, as as complementary in the interest of truth, even if they're completely different mediums. Wow. All right. Well, thanks for the backstory. Um, let's uh, move on to what happened yesterday in this whole. I mean, the, the hashtag is a uh, hashtag YouTube purge, and it's also got there's other one that's like Vox Adpocalypse and stuff like that. Vox Adpocalypse. Yeah, it's very, right. a little hard to spell. Yeah. Actually. Well, the thing is, that's funny about that is one of the other hashtags is Vox Adpocalypse, but it's spelled wrong. So you know that you have a good hashtag when people have the right. wrong spelling of it up there too. Um, yes. But uh, so. You know, people can look up kind of the paper trail of this on Twitter, but why, why don't you give a give just a quick breakdown of what actually happened, what started the whole thing? I mean, I know it kind of started with Steven Crowder, Carlos Maza. So what's your what can you give people just the timeline of it a little bit? Yeah. So 
I'll I'll proceed this by saying that I have been very clear on Twitter that I believe that this was that what I'm about to describe is the fault of YouTube. Mm. I I mm. don't particularly blame the individual content creators who got at the center of a of a feud that caused a PR nightmare for YouTube to which YouTube responded badly. Um, with that being said, so there were basically two content creators who have been going after each other. Uh, Carlos Maza is a reporter at Vox who talks a lot about right-wing media and mostly it is criticizing it. And uh, so for example, he did a video, which I actually replied to and didn't get a reply to him, but I asked a question about it a week ago, where he basically claimed that um, that there is what he calls a hack gap, uh, where he, he thinks that Fox News acts as a uh, kind of middle ground between the Republican Party and the mainstream media, whereas the left doesn't have an equivalent of that. And he used examples of, of Fox, in his opinion, shilling for the right. And uh, I actually had a somewhat critical reply of that saying, you know, I, I get what you're saying about them. I'm not sure I understand uh, your claim that the left has no equivalent. Um, in any event, uh, so he, he basically he does reporting like that, where he where he criticizes, he analyzes. And that's that's what we as journalists uh, are supposed to do. Hmm. Um, okay. And so he is definitely a, a journalist with an agenda. Um, he, he, obviously he has a particular group of people that he is talking about. Steven Crowder is not a journalist. Uh, Steven Crowder is, is a kind of comedian and conservative commentator. Uh, and I recently realized he's the, he was the voice of the brain in the cartoon Arthur. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Correct. Yeah, I, I knew that. Yep. I yeah. actually did not know that until recently. And that was really weird. So like, I was thinking of myself as a kid watching Arthur and then thinking like, wow. So I ended up in a feud with, like, or in a situation <laughs> because of a feud with the brain. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, so that, that was kind of surreal. But um, Crowder had been uh, responding to him in a, or, or talking about him in response to his work and has apparently talked a lot about this particular content creator and especially emphasized his uh, ethnic heritage uh, as well as his uh, sexual sexuality. Um, the fact that he is he is gay and Mexican and um, I, I believe or Hispanic um, in any event, uh, Crowder has been ha had pushed those things and had used certain words that um, uh, YouTube and and uh, this content creator were not happy with. And so he had uh, responded. Carlos had responded by uh, he made like a montage of Stephen Crowder's things that he said about him and basically said, um, I don't like that YouTube has not enforced its policies against Steven Crowder. Why are they allowing him to be uh, up here given these things that he said? And that criticism went uh, pretty viral. Yeah. Uh, a lot of news outlets started talking about it and it created somewhat of a PR crisis for YouTube. The way they responded was that yesterday they uh, shifted their community standards to broaden what it considers to be problematic content. They say that they have always repudiated and banned uh, supremacist content, but that they are expanding to include uh, certain types of behaviors that it considers and it uses the word borderline. Um, it also talks about, you know, uh, conspiracy theories or discussion of, uh, uh, you know, well-established history and saying that it didn't happen and so forth. Um, 
my content deals with a lot of, I film a lot of activism and some of that activism is extremism. I have filmed neo-Nazis uh, in public protests. Uh, I filmed Charlottesville and that footage has been seen by prob probably everyone, <laughs> basically. If you've watched news coverage of Charlottesville, you have probably seen my footage. If you watch the movie Black Klansman, you have seen my footage um, and so forth. Uh, so YouTube seems to have come to the opinion that given their broadened uh, community standards, that as of yesterday, my YouTube is no longer considered to be compliant with those broadened standards. Mm. It at the exact moment that all of the news stories came out about YouTube uh, doing this. I, I believe that they put out a press release of some kind and had it embargoed so that all the news outlets would release it at the same time as the rollout of the community standard. Um, basically, right as they released that, I got three emails from YouTube. Two of the emails basically said uh, in, in each email, one video that they are deleting, that they consider to be uh, inappropriate for being on YouTube. And the third email said, your entire account has been ruled ineligible for monetization. And it claims that some human at YouTube thoroughly looked through my channel and decided that too much of it uh, is, is against the community standards. Hmm. So the two videos in question, um, one was at uh, APAC, the American Israel, uh, you know, uh, PAC. And that was actually of pro-Palestine protesters who marched to APAC and uh, pro-Israel activists who came outside to talk to them. As they did that, there was a Holocaust denier who showed up and both sides came together and basically together argued with the Holocaust denier, telling him that he is wrong for all sorts of reasons. And uh, I actually, I, a few times I kind of interjected questions into it and the Holocaust denier really did not like me. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, wow. And so um, uh, that video was taken down, presumably because Holocaust denial is one of the newly uh, included YouTube standards. What I want to emphasize is that what YouTube doesn't understand or claims not to understand is the difference between content that itself denies the Holocaust and news video meant for criticism and analysis of people confronting somebody who himself denies the Holocaust, mm. right? So th this was a video of people coming together to to bash this guy, right? It wasn't a, a video that the video itself was endorsing anybody in it, especially the, the lunatic, for lack of a better word, yeah. uh, which I would not normally call anybody in my content um, uh, that kind of word, but, but frankly, he was denying history, right? So... Um, the other video was of a, a semi-prominent white nationalist, somebody who would be known to people who studied these sorts of circles, but might not be known to the general public, named Mike Enoch. Mike Enoch gave a speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial, um, among several other alt-right folks. Um, and this is large, that situation was largely viewed as the prequel to Charlottesville. Okay. And the only reason why it wasn't super well known is because it happened in Washington, D.C. in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and the police protected it very well. There were counter-protesters there, but it didn't turn violent like Charlottesville did. But almost all of the speakers who were set to be speakers in Charlottesville were present at that Lincoln Memorial thing. 
And I posted the full raw videos of most of the speeches from that event. Um, my, my footage from that event has been used in uh, an, an Emmy-winning documentary uh, called uh, White Right Meeting the Enemy. And it has also been used in a documentary that I produced for PBS uh, simply called Charlottesville. I, I associate produced. Um, that film, when it was premiered, was actually introduced by Martin Luther King III. So this is legitimate content that is used for critical analysis. I would not be able to have associate produced that film and licensed a total of 16 minutes of footage, which is a lot, hmm. into that documentary uh, if it were not for uh, those YouTube videos detailing it. And so no matter how unsavory YouTube may find the things that people are saying in the videos, it is necessary for historical research. There will come a time that the alt-right doesn't exist. There will come a time that Donald Trump is not the president. Uh, and I'm not saying that those two things are synonymous. Um, but history will look back on this moment. It's not just the documentaries being made today about a movement that exists. Uh, it's not just about the news stories that are coming out today about the things that happened today and yesterday. Uh, someday, people will look back on this political moment and say, how did America enter this sort of strange time in politics where there was a lot of radicalization, where there was a lot of extremism. Uh, and what did Donald Trump have to do with it? Right. Mm. Um, you need to be able to see the words of those extremists in order to understand that situation. And uh, even groups like the SPLC that are generally uh, not fond of platforming such individuals on social media, uh, even the SPLC has cited my live stream, for example, of Unite the Right 2, the sequel to Charlottesville that occurred in D.C. And Facebook took down that live stream. To this very day, you can go to SPLC and you can read an article that cites my work. And when you click on the citation, uh, it takes you to Facebook where it says this video is not available. Wow. Uh, so this is work that is usable even by uh, the left, that is usable by nonprofits, uh, that has been used in in so many lawsuits and criminal cases. It helps people understand the truth of matters that are contested in court, uh, where where the goal of of a judge or jury should be to understand the reality of a situation. And raw video is the way that you do that. Um, so this stuff is this stuff matters. It is yeah. used for things that matter. In some cases, it can be a matter of life and death. My literally my content has been used um, in the trial of James Alex Fields, who um, is going to serve or is serving life plus 420 years on state charges alone, not to mention that he pled guilty to federal charges for which he will be sentenced. And he uh, only pled guilty to avoid the death penalty. I mean, literally, literally life and death um, is, is affected by uh by the work that I have done, where people can can look at it and objectively see, um, I think that it is important for juries, for judges, for the public to be able to see raw video of uh, the events that matter to them. Um, wow. I mean, okay, so <laughs> wow, there's yeah, there's so much. There's thank a lot you, to unpack. Yeah, there. thank Sorry. you so much for all that. Okay, so so even anyone who out out there who doesn't know the name, James Fields is the guy that uh, killed that lady at Unite the Right in in Charlottesville with a car, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, her name was Heather Hare and Heather she Hare, would, okay. and, um, I would actually add, let me see if I can find that, um, her, uh, mother. 
Susan Bro actually uh, defended me today in light of the um, censorship. So Heather Hare's mother today wrote on Twitter uh, in, a, in a retweet of me talking about what YouTube did. Censorship is always a slippery slope. We absolutely must not, all caps on not, silence our journalists. A true democracy absolutely depends upon the citizens having access to facts. YouTube, please do better. Wow. So, so man, I mean, you know, I think I started following you on Twitter, I think five or six months ago, but I mean, I'm just seeing now that you and your footage and stuff is a big piece in this whole cultural news, like live protest thing in the last two or three years. And that's, that's amazing. That's important work. Like you said. Yeah. Wow. And so I, one criticism that I receive from people who don't necessarily understand my work super well, or uh, look at it kind of unfamiliar with my purpose or unfamiliar with me as a person uh, is that sometimes people mistake me filming something for endorsing the thing. So for example, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Dayton, Ohio. In Dayton, uh, nine members of an Indiana Ku Klux Klan chapter uh, showed up to hold a protest. And the community was uh, obviously quite concerned about safety. They did not want a repeat of Charlottesville. The police wanted to keep both sides far away, justifiably so. And 600 people came out to protest the nine Klansmen uh, who showed up. And many of those uh, on the left uh, were, were heavily armed, were carrying what uh, the media dubs uh, so-called assault rifles, um, you know, it was actually, it was the first time in sort of a civilian situation. So like outside of a gun range, it was the only time I'd ever seen a handgun with a 30 round mag. Uh, you know, it was one yeah. of those handguns that has a, uh, you know, a long mag sticking out of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and a, and a rifle with like a 50 round drum. Right. So so these were um, uh, anti-fascist protests, protesters coming out uh, heavily armed, which is not something the mainstream media really shows you. But so I did this live stream. You, the, the police basically wouldn't let you get anywhere near the Klan. And I would have interviewed them just as surely as I would have interviewed the other side. But the police made it impossible. Literally no media was able to talk to them. Okay. So I talked to all of the different groups, though, that showed up at uh, to counter protest them, you know, to the armed people, it was, you know, just tell me, tell me what you're doing here. Uh, why did you come out armed to protest uh, the Klan? Why don't you trust the police to take care of it, for example? Uh, you know, and I talked to other groups who showed up there um, doing other types of things, like one guy who showed up with a T-shirt that said free hugs. Right. <laughs> so it's interesting to see free hugs guy and I brought guns people, uh, <laughs> you know, being on the same team together. So. My point that I was going to say is a relatively high profile conservative uh, activist journalist, I guess you might say, sort of simulcasted my live stream uh, unbeknownst to me, and he was doing some commentary on it. And he described me as, oh, yeah, Ford Fisher's kind of on the left. He's kind of a socialist, communist type guy based on what I'm seeing here. Right. Oh, and no. <laughs> I ultimately did manage to get him on the phone a couple of days later, and he did apologize to his credit that he did not that he mistook me talking to the left wing as me sort of being on the left wing. And so sometimes people will accuse you of it gets to a deeper issue. If you're talking to somebody to document what their opinion of a situation is, uh, does that equal an endorsement of what they're saying to you? In my opinion, absolutely not. I think that it is the role of a journalist to go out there and speak to people. And my personal feelings should be relatively uh, aside. I think that there are things that I would agree with um, some of the people who came out there on, and there are certainly things that I that I would not, and and I mostly consider that irrelevant 
to uh, to my work. Wow. All right. So, yeah. So, um, so just to back up for one second. So basically, you know, we started talking about the bigger picture of this YouTube purge, I guess not bigger picture, just how it started. So Carlos Maza, Steven Crowder, and basically that made, you know, at, well, not made, but it, at some point YouTube changed their policies, changed their terms of service. And that then affected yesterday, hundreds of accounts, right? Like many, many people were demonetized, videos taken down, and you were one of them caught up in that. Yeah, and it's it's a little hard to uh, count exactly. Yeah, what the what the sort of damages were. I mean, the funny thing about uh, people being deplatformed is that it's harder for them to communicate what happened to them, right? Right. Yeah. So um, it is not exactly clear to me uh, how wide the damages were, and I don't think that YouTube has put out uh, exact numbers about that. But okay. it does appear to have affected people kind of in all directions. And one thing that I actually wanted to emphasize about yesterday, and I don't know how much of a difference it'll really make. But both Carlos and Steven, uh, who were the two people whose sort of feud caused this, yeah. uh, both basically condemned what YouTube did to me. So Steven Crowder um, retweeted me talking about what happened and said, independent journalists already being hit by the Vox adpocalypse. And Carlos says, said, uh, what's happening to Ford is effing awful. He's a good journalist doing important work. I don't understand how YouTube is still so bad at this. How can they not differentiate between white supremacist content and good faith reporting on white supremacy? Uh, Carlos's question is a good one. Um, uh, no matter how much I might disagree with um, him having encouraged YouTube to go after censorship, because I think in some ways this is kind of the inevitable result of it. I don't trust the the corporate masters, the <laughs> corporate overlords yeah. to get it right. Uh, I, I think very much that it was a predictable response that they would um, edit their policies in a way that they would uh, enforce in a fairly random way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, an unequal manner. I think that that's in some ways almost an inherent aspect of, of censorship. Um, but I appreciate the fact that both sides of that dispute agree that YouTube sort of may, uh, caught me in the crossfire. Right. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I did in kind of prepping for this was I um, I looked at that whole tr Twitter thread of yours, and I welcome anyone out there mm -hmm. to check out that uh, that tw Twitter thread you put out, kind of documenting the whole process, all the videos that were taken down and demonetized but also what i i try to get a list of uh, the people that i knew that were uh either demonetized banned and stuff like that and also i got some printouts of uh the updated terms of service have you read their um updated rules and policies yet youtube's uh i've read their their press releases about the subject and um frankly i think that really the problem is the the use of like the idea of borderline content right the um the policies that they have are extraordinarily vague. Um, they uh, they have a list of uh, protected identities, uh, for example, as well. Uh, and one of them, for example, is immigration status, which uh, I certainly would not count myself as someone who is an activist for or against immigration, whatever. whatever. But I will say I film a whole lot of pro-Trump things, right? If I, 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 for example, so even Saturday, in two days, I'm planning to film, there's a, literally going to be a rally in front of the White House called Protests Against Illegal Immigration. Mm. And uh, Stuart Rhodes, I think is his name, the founder of Oath Keepers, is going to be speaking there. Okay. I'm guessing that at a rally called <laughs> Rally Against <laughs> uh, Illegal Immigration that right. features the founder of Oath Keepers, I'm guessing someone will have something to say uh, about people based on their immigration status. Yeah. 
And when I report on that, whether I agree with uh, those people or not personally, um, when I say this is what these guys are saying, and I think that they are newsworthy and relevant, the Oath Keepers are, uh, you know, literally <laughs> carrying guns and detaining people uh, at the southern border. Mm. Um, they are they're literally like <laughs> participating in 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 sort of governmental uh, uh, procedures, right? Th these are important. This is an important thing to look at and understand and talk about. So when I report on it and say, this is what this guy has to say about the thing that he is doing, uh, is YouTube going to consider that wrong, inappropriate, what have you, <laughs> mm. right? Um, I'm also on Friday, I'm going to be covering kind of on the absolute opposite. I'm going to be covering an event called the Dyke March. It is a march of uh, that's that's the self-proclaimed name. To be clear, uh, it is a uh, it is a march uh, talking about LGBT rights, uh, especially L, right? And uh, so, if I'm out there and and I do an interview with one of them, and uh, she talks about uh, homophobia, for example, you know, I was kicked out of my house because I'm gay, or something like that. Uh, is YouTube going to consider that? Um, breaching a subject of of somebody being attacked for minority status. What if somebody on the street yells at them, right? A hundred people marching with a sign, uh, you know, or a banner or something, and someone sees them and yells at them something like, you're, a, you're an abomination to God, or you're inferior. Literally, the words you're inferior would obviously violate YouTube's uh, content policy. Yeah, but is my video yeah, of someone that. yelling that yeah. at somebody, if if someone yells you're inferior under the laws of God or something yeah. ridiculous like that or something. Right. Right. At, at this March, they are, they are themselves engaging in the type of speech that YouTube wouldn't allow them to post on YouTube. Do they consider my news recording of someone saying that thing uh, to be violating the policy? Uh, as of yesterday, they seem to appear to, to think that way. Well, and I, like you said, the most troubling thing is the borderline thing because, you know, the borderline is, subject, is subjective and they can kind of say this is borderline, whatever, but you can't be borderline banned. You can't be borderline demonetized. You're, you're either demonetized or you're not. You're either banned or you're not, and the video is either taken down or it's not. So they're making a subjective call and making an objective uh, outcome out of it. So it's, you know, it's really troubling. And like you said, just release of information. You're just, you know, getting it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And yeah, it's not good. right. Yeah. And so I, I think that an interesting trend right now is that it seems like, uh, for example, this is Facebook standard, not YouTube. So I am deviating okay. a little bit. But uh, Facebook recently put out a uh, kind of press release and a round of censorship where they said, for example, that they will ban all content from Infowars that isn't critical of the content. Wow. And so there's a question to be had here, which is what exactly is critique? Um, if I, I would cite again, because I think that it's the most mainstream or prominently cited organization in this issue, the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, has profiles. They call it Hate Watch, right? And usually those profiles Basically, I mean, they're surely critical, like the obvious reason that they're writing them is to is to say this person is bad, but they don't use those words. Mm. They don't write this person is bad. They have a section usually called in their own words and they quote the person. Here are some quotes from the person. We're going to prove that they're a hate group. We're going to prove that they're a hateful person by quoting them. And then it provides factual information about their life. Uh, 
you know, John Smith was born in Missouri, blah, 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 blah. He went to prison and joined Aryan Nation or whatever it is. And and this is the ideology he formed. Now he does this. He's advocating for this kind of violence. He says these sorts of things. Uh, and and he currently resides here where he engages with these groups. Right. It's it's usually a relatively factual telling of, of uh, you know, what they do. The question is, what what exactly counts as criticism? I don't think that Facebook would delete or censor the SPLC for for writing factual information, I guess you could say, about someone who they consider to be a hater. Um, if I put out raw video of somebody, of one of those people saying those things, and I say, you know, this person said this thing um, in quite the same way, Am I where 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 exactly is the line? What is posting it with with criticism? Do I have to literally type the words, uh, you know, this person who is prominent and uh, has the attention of this other politician or whatever uh, denies the Holocaust? Do I have to type the words? And it's bad to do that <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. in order to avoid the censorship. And same thing with YouTube. Do Would YouTube expect me to put a disclaimer at the beginning that says, this side is the baddies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. <laughs> I, in a way, I feel like it's telling, it's telling you that you can't, that they don't trust their audience. It's mm. saying, you know, we, we don't, we don't trust that our viewers are not going to turn radicalized by you documenting uh, radicals. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, in, I call it. My... Yeah, I call it disclaimer culture because I mean, look how the stuff we not 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 necessarily us, but people that have to step step around to like make sure that you're disavowing the right people and and it's ridiculous. Yeah, the baddies. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I the the other point that I would make is that I think that raw unedited video is actually what allows you to do the research that allows you to criticize the precise people. If SPLC wants to say in their own words, someone has to record them saying those words, right? So yeah. th these these sorts of recordings are crucially important to understand the process of radicalization, the roots of these movements. You know, when somebody says, uh, this is a big theme that comes up a lot. People like to say that Trump caused or inflamed the alt-right. Uh, something I do a lot is I ask the alt-right, I ask neo-Nazis, what do you think of Trump? And usually I get answers that are actually a lot more nuanced than one might expect. I've heard people say things like, well, he's sort of pushing the ball in our direction, but we don't really think he's doing uh, everything we would want him to. Right. Or yeah. they say, well, we've been talking about these issues for a really long time and that Trump too. has touched on maybe one or two of them. So, you know, we wouldn't consider ourselves Trump supporters, but we're glad to see America thinking about some of the same issues we are. Whatever it is, uh, that kind of documentation is important so that when somebody uh, like Heather Hare dies because of uh, these sorts of confrontations, we don't just have the raw video evidence of of the minutes uh of what led to her death, but we can say over a span of years, what led to all of this? How did we get in this weird political moment where where neo-Nazis and and Antifa uh, <laughs> have reemerged, right? These are both groups that started in the 1930s in Germany, right? How, how has that, uh, how have those ideologies come into play in the United States in this moment? That is a bizarre question when yeah. you step back and look at it it is weird 
that we are here. And it is important to document how we got to this moment. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, so you mentioned earlier that you don't necessarily subscribe to one side of the aisle or not. Um, but when I looked mm-hmm. at the the list of, uh, you know, people that were affected by this, I, I don't I don't know if it's all encompassing, but um, like the vast majority of them were either what you would call on the right or you would call like conspiracy people or alternative tech or whatever. Other than why did you get caught up in this? Like, I mean, other than that, like you said, them not being able to tell the difference between, you know, advocating for things. Uh-huh. But like, how? Do, why you? I mean, you're like to, to me from where I read it, you're like the only one that fits like the independent journalist mold. Unless I'm, I'm I miss something over there, right? So I think that I really, I think it's it's really fair to characterize it as me being caught in the crossfire. Okay. Um. Uh. I I I I sincerely think that if YouTube if someone from YouTube were to sit down and have a conversation with me like this, um, I think they'd probably come away from that conversation basically saying that the way that they were dealing with me until two days ago is about right. I, while I don't like being demonetized ever, I basically understand the fact that they demonetize some of my content that they consider uh, unsavory to advertisers, right? If you are going to sell DiGiorno's pizza, you might not want to have a 15 second ad for DiGiorno's pizza play before you watch uh, Antifa uh, uh, setting a limo on fire. Okay, I kind of get that. But um, but that they they monetize and demonetize individual videos on an individual basis, largely by keyword and largely in an automated fashion. Appeals are looked at by humans. I think they probably would come away saying that that seems about right. I I do not, I I think that YouTube really made a mistake, really misunderstood, probably rushed the rollout of this to deal with their PR issue, yeah. and that is probably why they made the rush decision to uh, take mine down. Broadly, on the question though that you were asking was really about you know isn't the right wing the one suffering at the hands of big tech censorship? Um, it is, but it is also a lot of others. So I point out that uh, Carrie Wedler, for example, is a very close friend of mine who is an anti-war activist, and she was an Obama supporter turned anarchist. And she does um, videos talking about how government is itself is the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right wing, left wing, whatever, that just the institution of government is the issue that should be fought against. And uh, she was removed from Twitter. And um, (laughs) Mm. so uh, and she does still have an active YouTube channel, but she has been subject to big tech censorship. I'd also point out that a, f- a friend of mine named Sandy, who uh, is an ind- independent uh, photographer and videographer, she's 73 years old, uh, bless her heart, and she was uh, covering Charlottesville alongside me. She was severely injured there, which actually became a um, fairly big news story on its own. But she has, uh, she is definitely a left-leaning journalist. She pretty openly dislikes the Trump people who she films. Um, And so it's a different conversation you could perhaps have about bias in journalism or whatever. But she has actually been suspended twice from Twitter because she has filmed people carrying what Twitter considers to be hate symbols. She has filmed somebody with a Confederate flag. She has filmed somebody with a swastika and mass reporting by the right wing who doesn't like her reporting to Twitter caused Twitter to take her down. So I would emphasize that censorship is not a left, right, or sort of center issue. I think it really can affect anybody whose narrative or whose reporting 
is kind of challenging the mainstream media or the mainstream perspective. Okay, gotcha. All right. And so that was going to be my next question too is like you you mentioned earlier that um you know they I don't know if they put this in writing but they saw enough content that they felt it uh, appropriate to demonetize your whole channel. Why do you think they went to those lengths? Because I've seen some other people on the list that just got videos taken down that are certainly more extreme than you. Why do you think they demonetized your whole channel? If, if yeah, why, why was that? It's ridiculous. I, like, I, I honestly, I have a very hard time rationalizing it. I, I suppose that that taking action against more channels perhaps might make it look like they're doing more. So they get to say mm. when they are questioned about why haven't you done more about this and this and this issue, they can say, well, we removed lots of people. We demonetized lots of people. Good you point. can no longer profit from filming uh, these bad people that we don't like. Right. You know, okay. so if, if YouTube was asked about it, I suppose they could say, well, Ford's been filming the baddies and we don't want to pay him to do that. Uh, <laughs> wow. I haven't seen YouTube comment specifically on my case in any kind of a public way in the way that they have about Crowder, but they did the same exact thing to Crowder and I, and, and in fact, I'd say slightly worse in my case, because with Crowder, they actually publicly stated what exactly they expect him to do to fix the issue. He has a homophobic t-shirt that he sells and they basically said, we'll reinstate his full, uh, account privileges if, and only if he, um, gets removes the link yeah, to the t-shirt. Yeah, he, takes the he link can to continue the to down. sell the bad t-shirt. Uh, he just can't link to the, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> it's a very strange like line for them to draw. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think that there, I don't think I've seen a single person. I don't think there is a single person who actually thinks that that's like a smart move. Some people will say more censorship. Some people will say less censorship, but even the people who are saying, can you censor Steven Crowder? They were not asking for YouTube to say, we're going to take away your money until you delete a, a t-shirt link. Like that's not what the goal was for anybody. <laughs> Man. Man, yeah, it's so it's so crazy when you see where the rubber rubber meets the road. Like what their actual line is and it's like a link to a t-shirt. <laughs> that that'll right. do it. That'll get you monetized and um so how are you, how can you get remonetized? Is is there an appeals process or uh do you have to talk to someone over the phone? Like how do you handle getting your channel back making money again? Um, well, so YouTube said that they will, uh, allow me to reapply. So to be clear, no appeals process for what they did whatsoever. Okay. Mm. I cannot make this. It does not grant me the authority to make the statement to YouTube. I think what you did is wrong. Mm. I don't get to say that. Okay. Uh, they say that in a month I can reapply as if I'm a new person looking to be monetized and that at that time they will review what is on my channel at the moment of application and say, you either are eligible now or you are not. And what they are hoping for me to do, it says in the email essentially is take a look at your channel, figure out what might oh. be wrong. And so they are expecting a level of self-censorship, right? They get to, I, I have approximately a thousand videos on YouTube. I've filmed uh, thousands of protests and thousands of arrests and so I, they expect me essentially to go through it and figure out uh, what they would consider to be unacceptable and delete enough that the next time they look at it, uh, they will say, uh, this, is, this is now in the sweet spot. We've, wow. we've now reached uh, a premium level of mainstream ideas only or what, whatever it Whoa. is. Um, 
I am hoping that public pressure and outcry about this subject causes them to just fix it now because I am not interested in deleting um, content that I consider extremely relevant to history. I stand on principle on that and I also stand on it as my business. If I, I filmed the torch march on August 11th, 2017 at UVA, um, which has now become a, a very kind of traumatic moment for the country in a yeah. way, right? People chanting anti-Semitic slurs and, and, and carrying torches through University of Virginia uh, and, and with some violence occurring there. That has been that footage from that YouTube video has been used in so many films. And other than Vice, I would say even better than Vice, but other than Vice, it was basically the only like cin cinema quality footage that was taken there that night. A lot of people with live streams, little this and that, but but I had movie quality video of that situation. And if that, for example, was was a video that they said, well, you're filming. These are the baddies. These are the quintessential people that YouTube considers to be the baddies. Mm, wow. <laughs> if they would expect me to take that down in exchange for money, I, I'm not sure that that's a bargain that I'd be willing to make. People deserve to see what happened there, uh, traumatic as it may be, and and traumatic as Charlottesville was for me, having witnessed somebody die there. Wow. Man, all right. That's So thank you so much for telling your story. I mean, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. Um, I just have a couple more questions, if that's okay. Yep. All right. So um, first of all, if you... Um, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, no one has a magic wand. No one can just, you know, control destiny and stuff. But if you were to obviously we're, we're facing some cultural problems where certain people feel maligned. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of cultural issues. If you could wave a magic wand and fix YouTube's problem, fix your problem, what, what would you do? Like, how do you, how would you say the way around this is like allow everything um, have a mm -hmm. have an entity that's actually trustworthy? Like, how would you fix this? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people with really good faith uh, disagreements over exactly how you deal with this. Um, I have I, I will admit that myself, I am conflicted um, about how exactly uh, to do it. I think most people agree that um, actual threatening behavior online uh, should have punished, you know, should be punished by not being able to do it. Consequences, whatever. If somebody posts a video saying uh, I'm going to kill X, Y, Z, right. Or whatever. Everybody agrees that that's not good. And yeah. the problem is, is sort of the gray area. You, you film somebody who advocates for a political ideology that includes violence. Um, sort of what, what does that mean? And, uh, I guess the problem is the very subjectivity that it includes. Uh, most people believe that overt racist ideology is, uh, sort of unacceptable, but whether you want it censored or not, it is, right? Um, but I mean, I film a lot of communist activists, for example, right? When I was at the thing in Dayton uh, last Saturday, uh, there were people with communist flags and I spoke to them and talked to them. And uh, while I didn't talk to them about gulags and such, uh, the, the hammer and sickle uh, arguably represents the death of 100 million people. Uh, was that filming violent ideologues? Um, it just it just depends on what exactly the standard is. Mm. Um, I think one thing for sure is a more precise understanding of what the the company believes is in, is appropriate or inappropriate. I think that they have left it open in an intentionally vague manner so that they have the discretion to do whatever they want. And I don't think that that's a good standard. Um, people have asked me even today, what do you think about the idea of suing them? And what do you think about the idea of regulating them? Yeah. And I have um, 
deep skepticisms about handing uh, any kind of power over speech to the state, even if the purpose is theoretically to protect that speech. I'm not sure how much I love giving control of corporations to the state. I tend to think that the marriage of corporations in the state actually tends to not favor the individual. Mm. So uh, these are difficult questions, and I personally am very open to reading and hearing out arguments on either side of them. Um, I, I will say that I, at one point on that issue of regulation versus not regulation, um, I was at one point strongly on one side, and at this point, I'm kind of in the middle. Mm. I don't. I just don't know. Yeah, that's a really tough one. Yeah, I'm kind of at the same lines as you. So it's just it's just scary either way. It's like a tightrope to, mm-hmm. to walk and definitely open to listening to arguments. So, wow. All right. So final question. Um, What would you sure. what would you say uh, to any, um, I guess, aspiring young journalists out there that both want to get into journalism and if they've been affected by this type of, you know, purge, ban, whatever you want to call it? Like what, what advice would you give to people getting started in this sphere? You know, it's it's funny that uh, I'm saying this amidst what is a really yeah. big hit on my income as an ability to perform independent journalism. But the thing that I would say still and that I tell people all the time is nothing prevents you from just going out and doing the thing that you want to do, whether it's fiction filmmaking, whether it's painting <laughs> or whether it's independent journalism. Right. If you have a cell phone, you can get out there and live stream newsworthy events that are happening in public. And so I encourage people to do that uh, and build a following for themselves, because uh, ideologically, I kind of believe that it's a superior lifestyle to having a boss who tells you what to do. I I really believe in this idea of of personal freedom. And of course, I I fully endorse the idea that you can go and work at a network if that's what you want. Um, I have seen both sides of it. I briefly worked at Fox. and I did not um, find the corporate environment to really be well suited to what I want to do. Mm. So if you can hold yourself accountable to working hard uh, and building a brand and such, then I would I would recommend doing it. Use that YouTube, use that Facebook, use the Twitter and uh, use Minds, which is an anti-censorship uh, social media platform uh, that I'm also on. Um, but but make your mark that way. And uh, that's definitely what I'd suggest. All right. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's all the time we have. So why don't you tell people how they can find you online and how they can support your work now that, uh, you know, that's been taken down. Sure. So uh, my Facebook page is called News to Share. It's News the number two share. Uh, I have a website that's News to Share dot com. I'm at Ford Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R on Twitter. And I also have an account on Minds, um, which is, like I said, an anti-censorship uh, uh, sort of social media um, startup that I think has a lot of potential to be where uh, the exodus of these other social media platforms uh, moves into. All right. And you guys can find all that linked uh, down below in the show description as well. And so uh, I don't know. I want to thank everyone else, everyone out there who checked out Call Me Ignorant today and also the ones who uh, checked us out after today. And you can find this uploaded to uh, YouTube, BitChute, FreedomScoop.com as a video, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean as a podcast. Follow me on Twitter at IgnoramusSteve. Send me an email at StephenIgnoramus at gmail.com. If you like supporting the show, you can send me some crypto, some Lionel points on DLive, PayPal.me slash StephenIgnoramus. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. My guest today was Ford Fisher. You can find his information linked below in the show description. Please support him out there and any other independent journalists. Thanks a lot for coming today, Ford. All right. Thank you for having me.